Welcome to another edition of Exhale, brought to you by Phytelegraph, a podcast series where we discuss topical information about spromptory and respiratory care. I'm your host, Mark Russell, Marketing Communications Manager for Vitalograph US, a global leader in respiratory diagnostics. I am continuing our podcast series with more current pandemic information. Today's topics are COVID-19 pandemic effects at Western Michigan University, telehealth, and cross-contamination for bacterial viral filters. Today's guest is Michael Hess, a respiratory therapist, and he is currently the chronic lung disease coordinator at Western Michigan University. He has focused on treating chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, such as COPD, for the last several years. Okay, Michael. Hey, welcome, and uh, thanks for joining us uh, on this podcast. And uh, why don't you tell our audience a little bit about yourself and where, a little bit of your background and where you are right now. Great. Thanks, Mark. I really appreciate the opportunity to, uh, to come in and chat with you today. Uh, my name is Michael Hess. Uh, I am, I've been a respiratory therapist for uh, just about 15 years now and a registered pulmonary function technologist for about four years. Uh, currently, um, I work at uh, WMED Health in Kalamazoo, Michigan, uh, part of our medical school here in town. Uh, uh, my official title is chronic lung disease coordinator. I focus a lot on improving care for COPD and uh, asthma folks, uh, primarily COPD, um, but uh, including diagnostics and uh, disease management plans and inhaler technique and all that stuff. Wonderful. And so uh, here we are, uh, you know, three, four months in with uh, COVID-19. I was wondering, uh, what do you feel like, um, you know, uh, at this stage, um, especially in your area, uh, have you, uh, you know, you know, where are you at as compared to the rest of the country? Well, uh, as with many things with this whole pandemic, it kind of depends on who you ask. Um, we have been celebrated in the news in the last couple of days because we have largely um, flattened a lot of the curve, as the, the, the buzzword is. Uh, we have successfully managed a lot of our cases, and we've had a good bit of, of downswing with that. Unfortunately, it does seem like we're starting to see a little bit of an uptick again um, as we have started reopening most of the state as far as restaurants and bars and social activities. Um, we're in the tail end of the two weeks after that started happening. So the next few days will really be revelatory. Um, here in Southwestern Michigan, we have not had it as rough as many places. We locked down fairly early. We had a lot of positive response um, with masking and social distancing and all of that sort of thing. Um, anecdotally, I have seen that kind of wane a little bit in the last week or so. I I am concerned that folks are still getting a little bit complacent and uh, they think we're out of the woods because we all want to be. And uh, I'm not sure if the virus is quite done with us yet. So we'll see. Understandable. And it seems like that's happening quite a bit around the country. We're the same way here in Kansas and uh, uh, we're starting to reopen and, and um, we've seen a, a kind of a spike here just recently uh, of increased cases. And uh, it's, it's, it's a tough battle. I mean, it's something of economics and 
uh, also health well-being and you just you know you don't know how to you know balance that out so to speak so why don't you tell us tell our audience about your clinic and who what type of patients you see and um, um, and and kind of maybe give a brief description what it was like um, before COVID COVID-19 and uh, what what now you're going to be uh, preparing uh, while uh, you start to see more patients as you um, uh, continue to uh, reopen your clinic. Well, sure. Um, I am, I always describe myself as one of the oddball RTs that actually works outside the hospital uh, and even outside a pulmonology clinic. Um, I work in primary care. I work in our primary care clinic um, that's part, as I said, of our medical school. Um, I pitched this job a few years back to one of our associate deans at the time because as as many people likely know, we don't do the best job at managing COPD and other chronic respiratory stuff uh, in general uh, for a variety of factors. You know, there are, there's a time crunch in primary care. There's, you know, how are we getting, are we disseminating the information properly? Um, are, are our clinicians equipped to handle these, these uh, conditions? So my goal was to um, demonstrate the value of a respiratory therapist in this kind of clinic, doing a lot of the teaching and things like that, that would normally come from um, another provider, but they simply don't have time to do. So like I said, we're talking spirometry, we're talking tobacco cessation, uh, inhaler technique, inhaler training, care management, um, coordination for other specialties, all that sort of thing. Uh, and it was, I would like to think that it was going pretty well. It was very well received by our residents and our attendings. Um, all I usually have to do is wave the picture of the, you know, the infamous uh, inhaler poster around at them and show them all the different kinds of devices and all that stuff. Uh, and they were very, very appreciative of having somebody who could uh, be knowledgeable in all that stuff and take some of their burden off. Uh, the patients seemed to really enjoy it too. We had some uh, early success with improving quality of life scores. Um, we actually presented at a COPD conference a few years back, um, and it was really a win-win for a lot of folks. Great. And what was your volume uh, that you were doing before uh, this pandemic came up? I mean, uh, how much how much did the primary care doctors and attending doctors uh, utilize you uh, per day, so to speak? Um, as much as possible, I, I do have kind of a hybrid role where I do some teaching and some research and things like that. And uh, I had a clinic two days a week, um, a scheduled clinic two days a week. Uh, and they kept me very busy on those days. Plus, there was always the odd consult here and there. So uh, we weren't, uh, I wouldn't say we were the busiest clinic in the place, but uh, we serviced our population quite well. Good, good, good. And so when the pandemic opened up, uh, did you guys shut down? Did you uh, continue to uh, operations? What was it like when, when uh, you know, pandemic was, was full stream and, and uh, was affecting every healthcare provider in the country? Uh, well, as the clinic as a whole virtually shut down, um, it was it was very difficult, uh, very challenging, I should say, um, to get everybody converted to uh, virtual visits, telephone visits. We wanted to make sure that everybody was as safe as possible because uh, as much as we still don't know about this thing now, we knew even less a few months ago. So we wanted to, of course, minimize anybody's exposure, minimize anybody's risks. Plus we had a lot of logistical issues. I mean, our, our, mass, uh, our public transportation system shut down, uh, again, to reduce risk. And we have a lot of folks who are dependent on that to get to appointments. 
um, ride shares were shut down. You know, pretty much it was difficult for a lot of our folks to get to the clinic, even if they wanted to. Uh, so we tried to accommodate that again with the uh, the addition of a lot of video and telephone visits. Um, my clinic. Um, almost completely shut down. As you might expect, folks with COPD in particular uh, are at relatively higher risk for um, a respiratory in a respiratory pandemic. So sure. really didn't want to expose those folks to the waiting room or anything like that. Right. And then uh, when you guys started and, you know, opening up, what kind of preparation did you do to, uh, you know, prepare for uh, seeing patients uh, as compared to was before this pandemic? Um, we have, uh, we've established uh, screeners at the entrances um, to check temperatures, to uh, evaluate for symptoms. Uh, we've taken a lot of steps to protect our registration staff. We've, uh, you know, installed the now almost ubiquitous uh, plexiglass barriers you might see in a grocery store or, or yep. what have you. Um, we're uh, demanding social distancing in our waiting areas uh, and requiring mask use, all that sort of thing. It is an evolving process. I will say that we're still looking at how to deliver some um, some procedures and some appointments carefully. Um, we're doing a lot more deep cleaning and all that, um, but we're still in the process of seeing what's going to work best with everybody's workflow and keep everybody safe. So you mentioned uh, virtual uh, visits and such. Uh, um, is is there a percentage of that uh, about 50-50 or uh, and tell me tell me a little bit about that i mean uh, what's some of the process and uh, is it for training is it for just you know checking in on patients uh, on progress what, what what's that all involved um really depends on the individual patient you know there are a lot of things that uh, you can you can gain from simply by looking at someone um, or speaking to them watching how they breathe that sort of thing uh, that you don't necessarily have to be in the same room for. Um, you know, I, I am a big proponent of telehealth and I, I was reading an article the other day where a physician said, you know, 80% of what I need to know I can get just by looking at somebody on a screen even. Um, there's never going to be a substitute for human touch, but you know, if you have a rash, you can hold that up to the camera. Um, if you are wheezing and huffing and puffing because you're having an asthma flare or a COPD flare, uh, that's usually pretty noticeable on camera and oftentimes even on a telephone. Um, so you can have those discussions again without putting people at risk uh, and without um, uh, violating any kind of social distancing or anything like that. What about uh, monitors or any type of spirometry? Have you done any of that uh, via? telehealth? Uh, we have not yet. As you might guess, it is difficult to do that sort of thing remotely unless you have um, a device like uh, some of the monitors that Vitalograph uh, puts out there that have Bluetooth connectivity that can potentially then forward that information on to uh, clinical staff. Um, those types of devices, if we can get them deployed in a, in a broader um, uh, area uh, or wider numbers, would certainly be a boon for a lot of these things uh, because we're going to, that will allow us to even expand out even more what we can do remotely um, while keeping people 
not only safe, but uh, you know, this is it's it's an interesting idea that uh, we're doing these things to keep people safe, but these are also things that probably should have been brewing for a while. Uh, it is difficult for a lot of our COPD people to get out into public. You know, sure. it, there's they're generally at high risk anyway, or they have oxygen tanks, or they have, uh, or they're concerned about coughing or any of those sorts of things, and a lot of them are simply more comfortable doing these visits in their home. Right. Um, so hopefully, you know, as I mentioned, we can get some more of those uh, connected devices out there. We can start doing some of these things more remotely while still offering coaching and uh, get the high quality data that we need for good clinical decision making. Absolutely. I mean, to me, um, we're right in the middle of probably high peak allergy system season. And um, uh, basically uh, some of these COPD asthma people are just, you know, struggling and uh, it would be more comfortable. Like you said, just do this at, in their own home and be able to send that data uh, via the internet or, you know, through their phones uh, type situation. So, yeah, absolutely. So uh, also I understand you, you kind of mentioned about the uh, inhaler training. Um, how uh, has that been um, received in your, your clinic? And uh, I know you're big uh you know, you, you love the aim uh, that uh, Vitalograph has produced, and it's a great tool to uh, educate people, uh, especially the first time they've ever used an inhaler. Oh, I do that. the The aerosol inhalation monitor was a game changer when I came across that. Um, it is really eye opening for patients and clinicians alike to see uh, just how complex. Um, using a meter dose inhaler is and how often people get it wrong. Uh, I tell people probably better than 90% of the people who come into my clinic for the first time use their MDI incorrectly. Um, and the aim allows me to evaluate exactly where the error point is uh, or error points. Uh, and then it, it's an excellent teaching tool as well. It, it's evaluation and it's teaching because then we can go through the process a little bit better. I can demonstrate to them, you know, what a good inhale looks like. Um, and then they can, they can perform that maneuver as well and get excellent audio and video feedback, visual feedback um, on their technique. Yeah, I tell you, when I first came on the, uh, to Vitalograph, uh, we went through a, a product training course and, and uh, uh, of all our products, and, and the AIM was, uh, was an eye-opener. Uh, it was amazing that how, um, you know, I've never used an inhaler before and uh, how many times it took uh, to, for me to get it right. Uh, and it really uh, is kind of a good guide for somebody that has no idea how to use an inhaler. It absolutely is. And I think there's a lot of follow on benefits from that too, because we have a lot of what I call inadvertent non-adherence. You know, you have somebody who maybe thinks they're taking their medication just exactly as they should, um, as prescribed and everything. And it's quote unquote, not working. Um, with, without the aim, we would have no idea whether it's them, whether it's the molecule, whatever it is. But with the aim, we can actually see um, what adjustments need to be made and to ensure that our patients are getting the improved quality of life from actually getting uh, what they're supposed to get out of the, the inhaler. Sure. And also, not only uh, that, 
uh, it helps them with uh, the economics. I mean, the cost. I mean, if they're not using it correctly, um, then they're using that uh, inhaler uh, quite a bit and uh, it, it's not doing them any good. And that means they need to get more inhalers. And, and uh, sometimes this, this prescribed medication is not cheap. Oh, not at all, particularly when it comes to inhaled medicines, where we still have relatively few generic options. We have uh, relatively few formulary options some, in some cases. Um, yeah, it's an excellent point about uh, the, the financial repercussions, too, because you're exactly right. You know, when somebody is taking their albuterol four, five, six times a day, because they're not getting a full dose each time when we can cut that in half or, you know, by two thirds, that's a really big difference for a lot of folks. Big savings, big savings for sure. So um, you, you touched upon getting back to your clinic um, uh, on, you know, scheduling, uh, uh, you know, visits, taking temperatures of patients, um, looking, you know, at uh, telehealth to help you uh, with uh, some of the visits and such. Uh, so, and you, you just briefly touched upon cleanliness. And uh, why don't you tell us about uh, some of the procedures that you're doing now uh, when you do see a patient and uh, making sure that you don't contaminate not only other patients, but your staff. Well, that has been a big issue of ours. Um, you know, traditionally, I have seen patients in my own office, um, which you know, is not really practical anymore. We can't really keep uh, good six feet social distancing in there, plus the air turnover is questionable. So we've switched over to a lot of exam rooms, trying to consolidate visits and that sort of thing. One of the biggest issues that we have seen right now is actually in pulmonary function testing. We have spirometers and a, a pulmonary function device um, where we are still concerned about contamination. They, um, these are devices that have an open channel through them. Um, there's been some debate whether um, what, what pulmonary function tests are aerosol generating. Uh, in my view, they all have the potential to be because if anybody has ever done even basic spirometry, you know how frequently people will cough because it is a maximal inhale. And even somebody with perfectly healthy lungs tends to get kind of dry toward the end and start coughing a little bit. Um, and we don't really have, with our current installations, we don't really have a good filtration system for that. Um, so we're really looking to see what can we do as far as uh, facilities. Do we need to you know, repurpose a negative pressure room? Do we need to build a, a new negative pressure room? Is uh, a movable plexiglass sheet, is that enough? What kind of PPE do we need? Do we have enough PPE? All of these questions are still up in the air and that, that has been a, a barrier to restarting some of our testing. Well, I know uh, Vitalograph has done some testing of their own products, their uh, filters, um, and we found out that not only from our own testing, but also outside agencies, that uh, they filter out 99.99% of any type of uh, uh, contamination or viruses uh, that could be passed through. So we're, we're excited about that. We're trying to get the word out to people that uh, these uh, filters and their disposable filters so that you don't have to go back in and uh, clean a lot of the devices. And uh, is that something that you've been looking at also? Because I know some of the other products that are out there, the spirometers, uh, you have spirets and don't have any type of fil filtrations. 
Well, and that's something we may end up having to look at. It hasn't necessarily been on the table because uh, in a fine bit of irony, we upgraded to um, our current system not terribly long ago. So uh, before anybody had ever heard of this novel coronavirus. So that's just uh, bad luck on our part, perhaps. But um, I would highly recommend that any clinic who is looking at um, capital purchases for any kind of uh, long function testing equipment now uh, seriously consider um, the importance of, of filtration and the importance of uh, keeping things clean as much as possible. And that starts with reducing the, the exposure. I mean, it, it's great to be able to wipe everything down and everything else, but if you can filter that out at the point of testing, um, that's going to make it a lot easier for everybody else down the road. Absolutely. And I think this uh, COVID virus, uh, I know it's a terrible thing. It's affected a lot of people's lives, but hopefully positive uh, things will come out of it uh, with uh, more cleanliness, not only in our clinics, but in hotels and airports and other public uh, transit um, uh, systems, any any areas that uh, we have a lot of people in and out that maybe going forth, uh, you know, is going to be a more cleanly uh, thought out of uh, uh, opportunity for uh, us. And, 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 you know, who knows, you know, the next uh, COVID-20 uh, may come out and uh, we'll be prepared for it. I'd like to think so. I mean, you know, I always try to find the, the silver lining, as you said, and I think what much like with the telehealth aspects of things, these are probably things that we should have been doing all along, but we didn't necessarily have the impetus to do it. We didn't have the, the rush or the drive. Um, and now we do. And now, you know, it, it's one of those things where we kind of get back to doing the things that we should be doing um, rather than the things that, uh, well, we can do it for now, but we can wait to make improvements. Nobody really likes to rush to improvements because they're expensive and change is hard and everything else. But um, I do think that we're going to come out on the other side of this uh, stronger in a variety of aspects. I agree with you. Uh, I myself, uh, you know, um, uh, before all this, uh, my insurance company really stressed upon uh, virtual visits and uh, they, uh, you know, kind of uh, uh, basically were encouraging us now uh, by dropping copays to uh, utilize it. And uh, we had this all in place, you know, probably five, 10 years ago, uh, but people were just not accepting uh, of, of this new process. And now that we have this new reality, uh, it's, 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 it'll be better off for us. I think it saves you time. I think it saves you wear and tear uh, for a lot of people that are susceptible to disease. And uh, it, I think in the long run, I think life is going to change. That's for sure. I agree. Uh, I'm seeing some positive rumblings coming out of Washington where uh, a lot of the payment models are going to be reformed a little bit as far as uh, you know, promoting telehealth in that regard too, which was another barrier to acceptance, um, maybe more on the clinician or administrative side. Um, but I, I think um, I, I, I think this is also a chance to drive a lot of innovation. I mean, we touched on a little bit of some of the, the Vitalograph Bluetooth monitors. Um, I, w again, would love to see more widespread uh, uh, um, um, utilization of those. And I think this is a whole new era of 
rel hopefully driving relatively low cost, uh, maybe not disposable, but uh, uh, cheap enough so that they can go into the patient home, uh, monitor remote monitoring devices. I think this, uh, this could be a golden era for medical technology. I agree. And, and we've got the uh, equipment to do it. We've got these smartphones and uh, all the apps that uh, you can do, uh, many, many various things. And why not embrace more of the healthcare industry and, uh, and what it could provide? Uh, I, I hope our, our government will ease on some of the restrictions, the HIPAA laws and such that we can accommodate this. That's for sure. So do you have anything um, else to add to our uh, podcast? Um, well, just as I said, you know, I'm, I'm great to see that there are companies out there who are well positioned to take advantage of some of these opportunities. Um, I do believe wholeheartedly that telehealth and remote monitoring are going to be huge parts of our, of our healthcare system going forward. Uh, and I'm really excited to see a lot of the innovation that's coming out of companies like Vitalograph uh, to help keep people safe, to help keep, keep people comfortable and to help keep people uh, breathing their best. Great. Mike, hey, I appreciate you taking the time and doing our podcast and, uh, uh, I hope this information has uh, uh, been informative to our audience. Great. Thanks again, Mark. I really appreciate the chance. You've been listening to Excel with Vitalograph. I hope you enjoyed what you've heard today. Please leave us a review and subscribe for new episodes. Thank you for listening and I look forward to you joining me again on Excel with Vitalograph.